Father God, I thank you so much for everything that you do for us. Lord God, that you died for us. That you came for us. That you loved us enough to send your son. Lord, as we open your word together now, I pray that you would speak and that we would be ready to hear in your name. Amen. So for some time now, it seems like physical health and getting fit has kind of become like a popular topic, right? Everybody's got like Facebook chain, like things of like, work out with this, you know, do that and the other. You know, you get your neighbor to beg you to come down four doors down to go work out with you because, you know, you need to. David Hirschman says this, speaking on healthy lifestyles, he wrote, Americans as a whole are unhealthy. That should probably get an amen. They're out of shape physically and have no idea how to change their situation. Many American Christians are unhealthy spiritually. Instead of diseases like obesity, diabetes, and the like, many American Christians suffer from spiritual weakness as evidenced by the inability to use godly wisdom for daily living. We're going to step on some toes today. Ready for that? Just as uh, he goes on, just as a physical health plan produces a physically fit life, a spiritual health plan will produce a life that is spiritually fit. A life that is characterized by spiritual understanding, strength, endurance, insight, wisdom, focus, and a closer relationship with God and other believers. So as we keep that in our mind, open up your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 as we continue on in that verse-by-verse study of this letter from the Apostle Paul. Last time we were in 1 Corinthians, Paul encouraged followers to put away childish things. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is how a person converts from a self-governed to a Christ-governed person. We talked about that a genuine conversion produces a childlike faith. However, it's possible to be in a Christian for a long time and still have childish ways. And we learned about the distinction there. Then we learned that nobody really knows the real you, not even ourselves. I shall not know, or I shall know just as I am known. We can't handle this great knowledge on this side of eternity. We learn that faith, hope, and love are so important in the New Testament, but the greatest of these is love. When we began 1 Corinthians 12, we said, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul sandwiched the teachings of the various gifts of the Spirit in chapter 12 and chapter 14. And in the middle is chapter 13, which is the great chapter on love. Paul wanted the followers to understand the goal of spiritual gifts is God's love. The very thing central to the gospel as well. It's God's love. If we don't have God's love, remember it's meaningless. Today's teaching again is on spiritual gifts after the chapter on love. And although a spiritually fit life is important, the importance of edification, exhortation, and comfort for the church is also important. So number one there in your notes, prophecy is better than tongues. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. It says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. This is going to be big. Warren Wearsby says Paul has discussed the gift of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, 
and the graces of the Spirit. And now he concluded this section by explaining the government of the Spirit in the public worship services of the church. There in your notes, there are three principles that ought to govern the public meetings of the church. Edification, understanding, and order. Those three principles. The first verse seems to be a continuation of the last verse in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. It says, And now abide faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 goes on and it says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Remember, Rich pointed out that when these were written, this was written as one long letter. Man added the chapter breaks and the verse breaks, and it makes it easy for us as pastors and staff. We can go through and kind of break it up into chunks, and sometimes it breaks down really nicely. But sometimes you have to remember these phrases, these sentences, they continue thoughts. And so it's not like you can shut your brain off from what you learned last time and start with a whole new thing. They have to continue on. It's very, very important. When interpreting scripture, it's all about context. We talk about the 2020 rule, the 20 verses before and the 20 after. Because otherwise, you take one verse out, slap it on the wall, and you make yourself a false religion. And it's, it's very easy to do. And so it's important for us to remember that these things continue on. J. Vernon McGee said that Paul is making a distinction between the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. And of course, the fruit of the Spirit is more important than spiritual gifts. There in your notes, a Christian's life should be characterized by spiritual understanding, strength, endurance, insight, wisdom, focus, and a closer relationship with Jesus and other believers. See, the difference between the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is what happens because you are saved. The gifts of the Spirit are what you kind of can do. It's kind of some things within that. But the fruit of the Spirit, that's the fruit that shows, right? How do you know an apple tree is an apple tree? There's apples. The fruit. You might know that. I'm from the big city. I don't know these things. I see pictures and I go, maybe. If I walked outside and looked at a tree, I'm like, tree. They're all the same. And they're just not. But you can tell what they are by their fruit. So, Christian, you should be known that you're a Christian by? There we go. We're awake this morning. I like that. I like that a lot. There are many Christians who believe in a private prayer tongue and use 1 Corinthians 14 as a proof text. But of course there are others who would argue over this belief. We have to remember this, and we touched on this in chapter 12. We've touched on this again here. Non-essential things within Scripture should not be argued about. Rather, we should seek unity combined with the truth. You and I might have different, different opinions when it comes to non-essential things, and that's okay. I used to throw the joke on the end of that, it's okay, you can be wrong. I realized, and, and most people know me well enough to know that's a joke. What I didn't realize was that, especially coming out of Bible college for me, I came away with um, an arrogance that I think God needed to deal with in my life. Because I really did think that if we had differing opinions, you were wrong every time. And I was right every time. And God has this way of just, just right through the ringer, man. Like, he took care of that in me. Maybe not enough. I hope it was enough. But when you have these differing opinions, it's so important because in churches it can become so divisive. It can become so divisive and we lose fellowship. Fellowship. 
And that, may it never be. I actually just sat down, and, and it, I think it extends. I sat down with a, a friend of mine who's another pastor in, in this community, and he and I have said this over and over again. We are brothers in Christ. We would not attend each other's churches. And that's okay. I'm, I'm overly comfortable with that. It's just different. We agree on the essentials. In the non-essentials, we have differing opinions, and that's okay. I respect his opinions, and he respects mine. That's where we have to land. So here, as Paul is teaching, the gift of tongues is inferior to prophecy and tells the Corinthians to pursue the more important gifts. Calvin says that Paul was teaching that the intelligible speech, prophecy, is superior to unintelligible speech, or tongues, in the assembly. Thomas Constable said in Corinth and perhaps in other early churches, people spoke in tongues among people who did not understand the languages. An interpreter was necessary in order to enable those present to understand and benefit from what the tongue speaker was saying in a strong language. You see here, Paul used the Greek words translated, tongues, and languages interchangeably in the passage. When we read of tongues in the New Testament, it's usually associated with the gospel being presented and people being saved. Notice it says, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. There's a purpose there. There's something that it accomplishes. The gift of prophecy is directed towards men. And it usually contains a positive message for the church. So if we look at these terms, edification is a building term, meaning to build up, not to tear down. Edification, that, that encourage, exhortation, speaks of encouragement. Comfort has the idea of strengthening someone, again, not tearing them down. That's what this is for. It's for growing others. Look again with me at verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 5. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. Dr. Constable said, Paul acknowledged the value of the gift of tongues, even though it also required an interpreter. Nevertheless, he made it clear that the ability to prophesy was more important, where he says greater is the one who prophesies. The issue, again, is private versus public benefit. If we remember that spiritual gifts are for what? The edification of the body. It's to build up the church. Yeah, there's some that where it's, yeah, I get strengthened for it. Yeah, I'm better for it. But spiritual gifts are to be used to glorify God and build up the church. So there's a public benefit to what's being done. Number two there in your notes. Examples for clarification. Let's read 1 Corinthians 14, 6 through 12. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare you for battle? So likewise, you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. 
Even so, you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Paul is telling the Corinthians that speaking in tongues was of no value if the person hearing the tongues could not understand the speaker so the hearer would not be edified. Imagine how useful it is if you're looking for directions to go somewhere and the person gives you directions in Spanish and you don't habla espanol. <laughs> Where do I go? Yo no sé. I'm not, that's actual Spanish. Someone's going to correct me and be like, it's not proper. That's fine. <laughs> it's just a joke. <laughs> but if you have someone tell you something in a language you don't understand, you just kind of stand there. Okay. I remember going on a Mexico missions trip and we were dealing with, we were building a house for a family and they would come over and they would talk to us and they would go and somebody would ask, do you speak Spanish? And I grew up in L.A., so like, poquito, like a little. I know how to like order food. I know how to ask where the bathroom is, quickly. But they'd come up and you'd say, do you habla espanol? And you're like, eh, a little. And then, then, whoa, and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. That meant nothing to me. It doesn't mean anything. In the same way, if someone were speaking in tongues and it's not interpreted, what, what use is it? It doesn't do me any good. We have to have, there has to be interpretation. Each of the words used here, revelation, knowledge, prophecy, there in your notes, and teaching, have utterance that can be understood. Therefore, the hearer can be edified, exhorted, and comforted. I think there's some stuff that's a mystery in Scripture. There's some things there's a mystery in life, right? But there's a lot of this, when God's speaking to us, He wants us to know. He doesn't want you walking around confused. He wants you to be able to be fed. He wants you to walk away from Scripture going, I know what I'm supposed to do. Now, it's on us if we actually do it, but we're supposed to understand what we're called to do. So all of those things have utterance that can be understood so that we can be edified, exhorted, and comforted. If we look at Revelation, Paul spoke things previously unknown as an apostle, and his words were given directly from God. If we look at the word knowledge, Paul spoke supernaturally from the Holy Spirit in the common language so all would benefit from it. Again, he spoke supernaturally, but he did it in a common language so that they would benefit from it. Prophesying, according to uh, Strong's Concordance, is a discourse emanating from divine inspiration and declaring the purposes of God. So we're declaring the purposes of God in that point. And then teaching can be doctrine. Again, in Strong's, it says, in religious assemblies of the Christians, to speak in the way of teaching in distinction from other modes of speaking in public. But all of these things have the idea, there's, a pur there's understanding and there's a purpose for the edification of the church, for the glorification of the Lord. If we look again at 1 Corinthians 14, let's look at verses 7 and 8. It says, even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise you, I went too far. That's verse 9. Anyone ever had a song stuck in their head, and then you tap to the beat of that song? Have you ever done that before? Or is that just me? I remember I was sitting, it was the first church that I worked at, I was sitting in a staff meeting, and I had a clicky pen, 
Now, that clicky pen wasn't just clicking randomness. I had a song in my head, and I don't remember what it was, but I was getting it. Now, I was sitting at a staff meeting with like nine other people, and uh, I remember, I'll never forget it, uh, our secretary, Penny, she looks at me and goes, Andy, will you please stop? And I'm like, oh, sorry. I put my pen down. We sit there for a few more minutes. I pick it back up. Sure enough. Ding, 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 ding. Andy, can you please stop? Oh, sorry. I'm doing it again. About five minutes later, I pick it up again. She reaches across the table, whap, right out of my hand. Just bam. And she goes, stop it. Yes, ma'am. And I sat with the rest of the meeting with my hands in my pockets. In my head, that was a song. In everyone else's mind, it was driving them insane. It meant nothing. In verse 9, Paul says, Unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will you know what it is spoken? For you will be speaking to the air. Nobody can understand what I was doing because it was just here. It needed to be something that they understood. If they could hear the song, they'd be like, yeah, you're rocking that clicky pen. <laughs> kind of an example when it comes to tongues, if someone's speaking in tongues without a proper God-given interpretation, they're simply blowing hot air. We're playing a clicky pen. Verse 10 says, There are many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them was without, without significance. The person speaking in tongues who did not have an interpreter was no better than someone speaking a foreign language, much like Spanish. Even though his tongues may have had meaning to the speaker, it had none to the hearers. 1 Corinthians 14, 12, Since you were zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church. It's a constant theme that comes back around. Knowing that the purpose of spiritual gifts is for the edification of the body of Christ, we must measure how we use our gifts in order to bless the body of Christ. If I'm just using my gifts to bless and or, or to glorify myself, I'm misusing the gifts that God gave me. And it doesn't matter what that gift is. If you're using it for selfish gain, if you're using it to get yourself in the limelight, you're using it to put the spotlight on yourself, you're dead wrong. Dead wrong. Worship leading is one of those things. If, if it's just so that you look good, that's going to fall flat. And it doesn't welcome anybody else into worship. There's those times in worship where it's so sweet. This morning, it's so sweet. We have talented worshipers. We have a talented worship team, but it's not about the talent. It's about a heart of worship. It's about being welcomed into an atmosphere, an environment where we are truly worshiping in spirit and in truth. If it's just so that we can get like a record deal, <laughs> we're misusing our spiritual gifts. We're misusing it completely. There in your notes, Gordon Fee says, utterances that are not understood, even if they come from the Spirit, are of no benefit. That is edification to the hearer. He goes on to say, since they have such zeal for the manifestation of the Spirit, they should direct that zeal in corporate worship away from being foreigners to one another toward the edification of one another in Christ. We should stop finding the ways that we're different and maybe not try to stand out as much as we should be looking at how can I encourage my brother and sister in Christ? Moving on, number three there in your notes, application for Christians. Let's look at verses 13 through 19. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. 
What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Verse 13 begins with therefore, pointing us back to the previous thought that the purpose of spiritual gifts is for what? All right, there we go. So therefore, if someone's going to speak in tongues, they should have an interpreter. This is a key thing. No matter what you believe about tongues, there has to be interpretation. Has to be. It's, and it's not me saying that. Paul said it. So get mad at him, not me. We would always be led by the Lord and not by our emotions. We should, rather, always be led by the Lord and not by our emotions. If the Lord has gifted us somehow, we should be fully submitted to him while exercising that gift. There in your notes, Constable said, Paul advocating praising God and praying to God with both spirit, that is the emotions, and the mind, which is understanding. He goes on to say, the spirit and the mind are both receptors as well as expressors of impressions. It's so important. So important that there's understanding. It says, you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. David Guzik said, Paul points out what we do with the gift of tongues. We pray, we sing, we bless, and we give thanks. All of these we do unto the Lord, not unto, the ma- unto man with the gift of tongues. So notice it says, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Remember back to 1 Corinthians 12, 29, where he asks, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I will show you a more excellent way. There in your notes, Paul had the gift of tongues, but when he gathered with other Christians, his concern was to be a blessing. His concern was not what was in it for himself. Spiritual gifts are for? Of who? Others. It's the church of others. So let's look at some application for non-believers. Number four there in your notes. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 14, 20 through 25. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice, be babes, but in understanding, be mature. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people, and yet for that they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are for a sign to those, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all. He is convicted by all. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so, falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. So Paul says here, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. It's really similar to last time when we studied 1 Corinthians, where we were told in Scripture to have the faith of a child. but We were also encouraged to be mature as we grow in our faith. 
The childlike faith is that excitement, right? But we mature and grow. It's important as we mature, we don't spoil like milk, right? And get just rotten. Sometimes you see in churches for a long time, you see the person. I sometimes fall into this, right? I've been a Christian for a long time, like most of my life. And you get like, meh. Man, I, I want that excitement. That should be there. Because you watch somebody who's a, who's a newer believer, and they're just so fired up about everything. And you're like, just chill out. Stop. <laughs> Easy. Hang out for five minutes, will you? And that's so wrong on my part. That's so wrong. Have that childlike faith, but we continue to mature. There in your notes, David Guzik said, in their selfish desire to edify themselves at the expense of others, the Corinthians showed themselves to be children and selfishly immature. In verse 21, Paul references a warning from the prophet Isaiah. The Lord was warning Israel that because they refused to listen to the prophet's words, he should teach them by using their foreign enemy. But even then, God said they would not repent. It seems to be teaching that tongues and prophecies spoken in church were given as a witness to non-believers and that the Lord was involved in the service. We learned earlier that when we read of tongues... In the New Testament, it's usually associated with the gospel being presented and people being saved. Again, verse 3 said, But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Let's look again at verse four, uh, chapter 14, verse 23. It says, Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? If tongues occur... In, in, in church services, really, like, okay, there's, there's different types of people in the church, right? There's believers, there's sold-out believers, there's non-believers, and there's a kind of middle where it's carnal Christians. We've talked about this before. Rich has mentioned this a number of times, that there are sold-out Christians, carnal Christians, and non-believers. If tongues occur, that would seem off-putting to some people, and it could even cause harm to the gospel if the Lord were not in it. It's so important for us to know that. There in your notes, Robertson and Plummer said it was strange that which the, that which the Corinthians specifically or specially prided themselves on was a gift which, if exercised in public, would excite the derision of unbelievers. If there's derision, if there's division, if there's all that kind of stuff, does it seem like the Lord's in it? That's a good test, isn't it? If we're exercising a spiritual gift and out of that is born division, that probably wasn't what the Lord had, had for you, was it? No bueno. No bueno. <laughs> Not good. <laughs> I just said there had to be interpretation. That was so good. That was so perfect. Look at verse 25 with me again. It says, And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. The main function of the church corporately is found in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 12 says, For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for edifying the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 
We come together as a church to worship the Lord, to edify the body, yes, and to present the good news of salvation, which is found in Christ alone. And I love when we do these, that it's, it's repeated time and time again. We're placing our faith in Christ alone. That is the only way to salvation. Don't let that, that you heard Austin say, don't let that fact become so commonplace that you're just like, eh. Because I believe that that fact, that idea is, is it's, it's, being, it's being attacked by so many things around us, by our world around us, that, oh, yeah, everybody, there's many ways to heaven. You, you just, just be a good person. No. It's Christ alone. Even though Christians need to be fed to grow up in their faith, we try, to not, we try to always present the gospel in church services because truthfully, I don't know all of you in the room. There's some of you maybe I haven't met. I don't know whether there are believers or non-believers present. There may be some sitting here that have said the words. And I went to school with a lot of these. I, I grew up going to a, a private Christian school. And there are a lot of my friends that are no longer serving the Lord. They said all the words. They served on volunteer teams with me. They served on worship teams with me for years. And they're no longer serving the Lord. And I ask myself, man, did it get here? Did it make it here? And so in all of those opportunities that I talk with them, I, I want to share Christ with them. Because maybe that's the time. Maybe that's what it is. And those times are going to come up at the most random times. We need to be ready to have those opportunities. So point five there in your notes is our take home. Like Rich likes to say, so what? In order to have a proper view of spiritual gifts, we need wisdom from the Lord as well as surrendering to his leading. Part of surrendering to the Lord's leading happens when we have a healthy diet within our walk with Jesus. If we begin to take our spiritual fitness seriously, we, we can begin to receive wisdom from the Lord and act accordingly. This surrender happens by accepting Jesus both as Lord and Savior of your life, and then we receive his Holy Spirit as promised. Ephesians 5.18 says, And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Remember we talked about this. Filled means controlled by. Warren Wiersbe says this, The verb fill has nothing to do with contents or quantity, as though we were empty vessels that need a required amount of spiritual fuel to keep going. Filled means controlled by. So be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And that's a good self-check as well as you're doing something. Man, am I being controlled by the Spirit or am I allowing something else to control me? Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. You were created to love God and this can only happen because he loved you first. Amen? He sought you, drew you unto himself and accepted you because of his great love for you. And as you love God, he reproduces his love in you. Once that transaction is completed, there are practical things we can do to grow in edification, exhortation, and comfort. And we're going to walk down a few of these. Number one there in your notes is worship. As a result, we worship. Why do we worship? Because the Lord is seeking worshipers. John 4.23 says this, The hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, 
And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Again, Hirschman said, Worship is the natural result of divine love operating in the redeemed heart. It is the outward expression of supernatural love operating within. A lack of worship shows we have a lack of love. And where there's a lack of love, there can be no real worship. Worship is our acknowledgement that the Lord is God and he is worthy of all of our praise. And Jesus doesn't want our leftovers. Sometimes that's what we offer, isn't it? He wants all of us. We have to worship in recognition of who he is, what he has done, what Jesus deserves, and finally of who I am and what I am in Christ. This, hap- this first happens before salvation and then after salvation because of what he's giving me. One of, the, one of my philosophies of worship is always that worship is a response to what, you've heard, what you hear. So often worship is just the songs that you play so that you have time to come to church late. It's not that. Worship is a response. The people that laughed were the ones that were on time today. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Worship is a response to what God's done in your life. There was one song that I always come back to, and it's a song that says, How can I keep from singing your praise? How can I keep from singing your praise? God's done so many amazing things. How can I stop from singing your praise? My clicky pen song should always be a worship song. Because of what Jesus did for me. So the second thing we can do is prayer. There is incredible power and potential in prayer. How many times have you heard someone say, all I can do is pray? All you can do is pray? That's what you should do. There's power in prayer. Prayer does not change God's mind, although it sometimes changes things. Most of all, what prayer changes is it changes us. Prayer is our way of lining up our will with God's will. The Lord has a plan for us, sometimes even in in waiting for an answer. God always answers prayers. What are they? Yes, no, and our favorite one? Wait. Wait. That's the best. Sometimes what we're asking goes against his plans. I did that for a lot of years. I was asking for something that God wasn't ready for me to have, so the timing was wrong. So we ask until we receive a definite answer. There in your notes, as we grow in our prayer life, we become more engaged with what God is doing as our relationship and intimacy with him grows. So number three, there in your notes, study God's word. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Bible rightly diagnoses the condition of man with a surgeon's precision and discerns our spiritual health. Romans 1.16 says it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. There in your notes, God uses his word to expose our hearts and to enable us to see the sin and unbelief in our own hearts. The Bible is that tool that the Lord has given us for self-examination. But why is it so important to have self-examination? It's a good question. It's difficult to know the motives of why I do the things that I do. I sometimes can't figure me out. The scripture reveals to us the true motives of our heart. That's why it's so important for us to study the Bible for ourselves and allow the Holy Spirit to speak the Lord's truth into us. The word of God is alive and active, so it imparts knowledge and truth into us, even truth that helps us know ourselves better. 
And because it's living and active, you know, it's so easy because you've been going to church for a long time. You're like, oh, I've heard that story. I've heard that verse. I'll check out. It's living and active. These passages, these stories hit you differently at different phases in life. The story of of Abram leaving his family hit me different as an adult than it did as a kid. You know, the the picture of a sacrificing your son looks differently now that I have children. because Because the word of God is living and active. It continues with us, and it, it hits us in so many different ways. This experience with, with God's word enables us to be honest with God, to trust his will and obey him, all made possible because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. The fourth thing is community and fellowship. The relationships within groups of believers whose focus is on Christ and commitment to each other's spiritual and emotional welfare enable spiritual health in the church. Ephesians 4.15 says, May grow up in thing, all things unto him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for edifying of itself in love. There's that word edifying again. So even in our community and fellowship, it's for edification. Number five, we were saved and equipped to serve. Galatians 6, 9, and 10. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Don Stewart said this, Paul said the gifts were to aid the church in its mission, that God has given spiritual gifts for the purpose of building up the entire church, the body of Christ, It's not for the glorification of any one individual, but rather for the glory of God alone. Colossians 3.23 says, And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. All the glory from serving him goes right back to him, not to you. If you're the one receiving the glory, if that's for you, it's wrong. And finally, six there for evangelism. Acts 1.8 says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The best evangelism is to live Jesus out loud, and other people will desire what you have. If the relationship that you have with the Lord doesn't look better than what the world's got going on, why do they want it? You were created to love God. We have to understand that, and that can only happen because he loved you first. As we take that out, evangelism is one of those things. People are like, I don't know. I don't feel like I have the gift of evangelism. Well, guess what? You're supposed to do it anyways. Because of what Jesus did for you, you have the responsibility to take that message out and live it out. And I've had so many people come up and say, well, what words do I say? What do I use? Do I use the Romans road? Do I use the four spiritual laws? Do I use this? I have this track, this thing. The best way to evangelize to people is live your faith out loud. Live your faith out loud. Because as people see you live your faith, they're going to know a lot of what you're going to tell them anyways. They're going to have seen it in your life. That, to me, is the biggest challenge, that we live our faith out loud as believers. Because as we live our faith out loud, we encourage 
other believers. You encourage those around you. But we have an opportunity to reach people for Christ as well. I'm going to invite the worship team up. Every week we have a time of response. Um, there will be some prayer partners in the back if you'd like to, uh, if you'd like to pray. Uh, we'd love to pray with you. We count it a blessing to pray with you. I, I realize living your faith out loud can be difficult sometimes. Maybe you work in a, in a secular environment where people are very opposed to your faith. Don't give up on those, don't give up on those times. I just recently had a, had a conversation with um, someone in my life who is fairly opposed to the gospel, so much so that they said they don't want to hear me talk about it. Don't want to hear me talk about it. Just don't. Like, What do you mean, just don't? Like, I, I want to know what you think. I want to know what you believe. Don't talk to me about it. I, I've never felt a person give me such a closed door before. And I was sitting with him and his friend, and his friend started asking me questions. Hey, man, I never heard about, you know, how you actually got moving to Oregon. Tell me a little bit about that. And so, okay, I shared a little bit of how I got here. And he's like, yeah, you know, my mom and dad were, you know, pastors at a church, and we got burned, and I stopped going. And I hear the other guy who's told me he doesn't want to talk about it, he's walked back in the room now. I'm just kind of waiting, waiting to see what happens. And his buddy's talking to me. And he says, but, you know, I started meeting with this pastor friend of mine. And we started studying scripture together. And man, it so changed my heart. And then he invited me to his church, and I started going. Man, I'm all plugged back in. I'm so fired up about Jesus. And I'm like, yeah, that's amazing. Because this other person in my life is saying, I don't want to talk about it. They're best friends. I can't talk about it, but I can talk to him about it. But see, I was willing to have the conversation right then and there. I don't know what God did with that, but I know because... That guy and I lived our faith out loud because we were willing to have a conversation about faith. Maybe God used that in this other person's life. And that's been my prayer ever since. And yeah, I'm being vague because I want to protect names because, you know, it's online and weird. <laughs> but live your faith out loud. And if you want prayer for that, if you want encouragement, we would love to pray with you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your love. I thank you that you loved us first. I pray, Lord God, that we would take that love out into this world that so desperately needs it, that so desperately needs you. Lord God, I, I pray that you would continue to allow us to operate in unity in the body here at Living Faith Fellowship. And Lord, we would stop, we, even with other believers, dividing over things that, man, in the grand scheme, don't matter. Help us, Lord God, to be known for what we should be known for. Love. The greatest of all of these gifts that we've talked about, love. Lord, I thank you for that love. Continue to grow us and mature us. Help us to build each other up. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening and we hope that you are blessed. If you'd like to find out more info about our church or any other resources like sermon notes or things like that, you can check out our website at livingfaithklamath.com. 
Make sure if you haven't already to subscribe or like us on whatever your favorite podcast app is. You'll find us at Living Faith Fellowship Klamath Falls. Again, be blessed. Be blessed.